Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, welcome to another episode of the Falcoholic Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic. Kevin, joined today by Will McFadden at Will McFadden, host of the Believe in Falcons podcast to break down the Atlanta Falcons 2022 draft class here to give you guys some relatively instant reactions. We're recording this on Monday, so there's been a little bit of time to think about it. You know, these are entirely off the cuff. If you want those, you can go back and watch all three days of the uh, draft party which is about 15 hours of content. So if you're like really jonesing for some content, you can go watch all of 15 hours of that. I don't recommend it necessarily, but you know, we'll take your clicks. We appreciate that. But Will, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. You know, some people, they they watch all the Lord of the Rings movies back to back to back. Yeah. Some are just going to go binge all the Falcoholic draft content. Yeah, it's a, what better way to spend 15 hours? But <laughs> I'm excited to uh, to talk with you about the draft today because, you know, you and I were talking before we we hopped on. We haven't gotten each other's thoughts on it yet. And, I, you know, there are a few people who I um, am more interested in hearing their takes, especially when it comes to the draft, knowing all the work that you put in than Mr. Kevin Knight. So I'm excited to uh, to chat with you about it today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's just dive right into it because we got... Eight picks to break down today, one fewer than expected, but, you know, rarely do teams enter with exactly the same number as they leave uh, with the picks. So we'll start off with round one, pick eight. Falcons took wide receiver Drake London from USC. Uh, and, you know, to, to preface it, everyone knows that I was not the biggest fan of taking a wide receiver at eight. Um and I haven't necessarily changed my tune on that, but <laughs> it makes it better that it was my wide receiver one. It was the 10th ranked player on my board in Drake London. This was the receiver that I thought fit the team best. Um, so it's hard to get too mad about, like, if they're going to take a position that I don't like, at least they took the player that I liked. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, the pick makes sense. And, you know, now with the benefit of hindsight of seeing that the Falcons actually sparked a wide receiver run that ended <laughs> with like 13 or 14 receivers going in the top 50. Um, I think it makes more sense. I think it's more justifiable. But uh, what, do, what do you think about that pick? And I know you, we've talked about wide receiver at eight as well, but your sort of overall thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the key point was the last one that you made there. And not only did it spark a, a wide receiver run, which Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith made sure to bring up yep. in, their, in their press conference after the, the first round. So it, it's very clear that they thought that that was important. But I think that this pick looked better, unfortunately, with every pick that Jermaine Johnson dropped. And... It, you know, I was talking to somebody before the draft, uh, and it was uh, he was saying, yeah, it could come down to do the Falcons prefer the top receiver on their board or the third or fourth edge rusher on their board, and just kind of how does that all sort out? Now, when you're building the board, you you don't you do it by position, but you also just do it overall. So, really, it would have been wherever that slots in. It's not like they're looking at it 100% through that lens because they do stack all the players regardless of position up against each other, but. 
Drake London was always the receiver. I think that we felt was the best fit for this team. Um, and I, I look at this contrasted with Chris Olave, who went to the, the Saints. The Saints already have Michael Thomas there. And yeah, I know he last year, all the injury concerns, kind of what's his standing with the team. That's all weird. But when you have a guy with his physical skill set and, and style and just the big physical presence that he brings along with the route running and all of that, it allows you to then be a little bit, not, not riskier, but more selective, I think, with your second option. And the Falcons don't have that second option. They're trying to still build that first option. And for many reasons, that's why I think Drake London makes sense, let alone his, his versatility as a receiver. You can line him up as your number one on the outside. You can bring him in on a real tight split and have him be very effective, I think, as a run blocker with a two-way go, different things like that. So Drake London, if they were going to go receiver, he was number one on my board as well. Uh, it makes sense, I think, for what the Falcons want to do. And given what they then did on day two, I think that this pick looks so much better now. It's aging really well, I guess is what I'll yeah. say. Like at, yeah. at the moment, I think a lot of people were like, I, I get it. I don't think it blindsided anybody. It just right. maybe wasn't the option that they, you know, if you're choosing your starter Pokemon, I don't think a lot of people went with Drake London as one of the, he was one of the three. I don't think it was like he was everybody's first pick. Yeah, but given how the draft played out, I think they really kind of nailed this pick for what they wanted to do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it makes it makes a lot of sense in the long term view of this team. And you know, I just love Jermaine Johnson. I love Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to say, and and Jordan Davis too. It's hard to say bye to my my defensive boys. But um, Drake London was my offensive boy. Uh, so you know, <laughs> it, it's I'm just gonna have to get over that. But it's funny because he continues a trend of like my really early mock drafts guys that I take in the second round, you know, Drake London, because of the injury, there was buzz that he might fall to the second round. And then eventually he ends up being the Falcons first round pick. So he joins, you know, AJ Terrell and Chris Lindstrom and some other guys in that rarefied air of my being wrong about mock drafts. But, um, <laughs> Hey, you got, yeah. that's a good track record. Though. Hey, you know, if, if AJ Terrell and Chris Lindstrom are your other two, then, yep. you know, Chris, your, your second rounders are, are the top tier. Yeah. Top tier guys. <laughs> Whoever I take in the second round in January is going to be their first round pick. You can go ahead and write that in pen, I think. But um, yeah, I really like London. I think he makes a lot of sense. I think he offers he offers like a really good short and intermediate game, which I think is what this team was really lacking last year without Calvin Ridley sort of being able to fill that role. You know, Calvin Ridley's a deep threat. We all know it. He's good at intermediate stuff too. But the Falcons really tried to make him into this short yardage dump off guy and a guy who would try to get yards after catch and, and win these physical routes. And that's really not Calvin Ridley's game. It's more of a Chris Olave type of game. You know, we're talking about Chris Olave, but um, the Falcons, a lot of people thought the Falcons should have gone after a deep threat to compliment Kyle Pitts. And I, I guess to them, I would say like, did you see what Kyle Pitts did last year? Cause he was the deep threat. Like he was the one that was streaking downfield trying to get these, <laughs> these deep throws. He just had like three guys draped on him on every play. So Really, I think the better compliment to Kyle Pitts isn't another guy to take the top off. It's a guy that's going to eat up that underneath stuff when Kyle Pitts is taking the safeties with him. And I think London fills that role really well. And I, I think that, you know, the lack of deep speed is overrated. Um, I think he probably is about as fast as Mike Evans. You know, it, it's four, mid four fives type of guy. He said he ran yeah. a four five flat. So, you know, take that with whatever. I don't know anyone who lies about running a four five, you know, maybe me. But, uh, yeah, I was like, um, I would. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would <laughs> gladly say that, but I feel like NFL receivers would be like, oh, yeah, I ran like a 4-3-9, you know, I, I'm, an, I'm a 4-3 guy, and they really won like a 4-6, but, it, you know, whatever. I think it was a very strategic 40-time uh, drop by Drake London, but 
you know, the, his run after catch is really special. Like you said, the run blocking, I think, is something they really value. That's what um, I think is kind yeah. of the key thing here. Uh, when you talk about separating between the other receivers as well, it mm -hmm. was one of my key attributes that I was scouting was blocking. And by far, Drake London was kind of the most willing and, and effective and able. And I think Arthur Smith wants to marry the run to the pass. That is kind mm -hmm. of like, I think, the main goal for what his offense really wants to do is you'd want that versatility and the defense just doesn't know what's coming. So having a receiver who is just as good at blocking as he is, you know, running routes and and doing so from the inside and closer to the line of scrimmage, that's exactly what they're looking for. Not necessarily a Jamison Williams who you kind of know what he can do. And yeah, he does it better than maybe anybody outside of Tyreek Hill or Will Fuller or whoever, but you, you can game plan against it if you know what is coming. And I think Drake London, you can disguise a lot more of how you're going to use him. And I think Arthur Smith values that a lot. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and that, you know, but the other guy I really liked in this class for the Falcons as a second round target was Christian Watson, who yeah, also run blocking <laughs> one of his biggest things at North Dakota State. They had, I feel like they had him run blocking like 50% of the time. So, you know, I, I agree with you that I thought that was, that's not really what you should like be putting at the top of your list of wide receiver <laughs> no. traits, especially for the first round. But I think, for the Falcons, that's like a, a cherry on top that they were looking for and sort of flavor of guy they want. They want that's one thing we're going to get to throughout this class is they want physicality. They want guys that are going to bring that edge to this team. Um, and I think Drake London absolutely fills that for them. Um, <clears throat> moving on to the second round, the Falcons traded up from 43 to 38, giving up their fourth rounder which I think was pretty fair value at that point in the draft. I know everyone thought it was for a quarterback. The quarterback would come later, uh, <laughs> but they did trade up for a pass rusher, which is hard to be upset about if you're a Falcons fan. They took uh, Penn State edge rusher Arnold Epicady, uh, who was one of my guys. Uh, I had him as a 79, which is like the highest possible second round grade before it becomes a late first. So um, that's obviously fair value, I think, for him. You know, I think I had Boy Mafe like one spot ahead of him. So it's like, that's that's a basically a push. It just depends on right. sort of what you want. Like I think Ebicady is is more likely to be an early career contributor, whereas Mafe might take a little more seasoning. Maybe has a higher, well, definitely has a higher athletic ceiling. I mean, I think he's like a nine nine five sort of RIS. Where <laughs> you know Ebicady's only an eight point nine five or something. So you know both very good athletes, obviously. But what did you think about Ebicady's uh, selection? Yeah, I mean, I think that Ebicady looks the part of an NFL yeah. um, kind of end edge rusher. And and so I think that he brings a little bit more of a well-rounded game than, than Mafe does at this point. And so, you know, your, your point of his contributions earlier rather than later are valid. And I think the Falcons are, are saying, yeah, you're going to be on the field pretty much right away. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we've yeah. got Ade Ogundeji and, and Lorenzo Carter and you, and mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have a big role on this team. And I think that, he brings some pro ready pass rushing skills. He's got a good kind of club rip on the outside that he uses with his speed to then kind of try to gain the art arc and, and kind of bend it back into the quarterback. And I think he's got really good bend, which is usually yeah. the trait that like shoots guys up the draft board. So if you're getting a trait, if you're having your pick of traits, like his bend and, and kind of flexibility as an edge rusher is something that I'm really excited about. Right. as a prospect, because that means I think that he can add a little bit more to his um, pass rushing game to get just to that point. But once he kind of gets to that point, he already knows what to do, uh, which is sometimes the hardest thing to teach a pass rusher. Like I think of somebody like Tack, who would win all have like really high pass rush win rates, 
but very low sack numbers. And I think a lot of that has to do with the very last component of that pass rush, which is usually hitting that angle to get back to the quarterback to then make the make the sack. I think that he's able to do that and has shown the ability. And then the other move is he kind of converts that speed to power really well, sets up that outside and then charges hard at the um, tackles kind of inside arm to, to brush him back to the quarterback. He's going to need more than just those two moves. Yeah. Uh, certainly at the NFL level. I mean, a guard could just wipe him out if he sets up that outside and tries to convert it to power and, and doesn't see it coming. But then, you know, he brings a lot against the run as well. I, I think he's just a really solid, well-rounded player at this point. Mm-hmm. I agree maybe his upside isn't that of a, you know, like a, like a Brian Burns coming out right, or right. a Kayvon Thibodeau or somebody where you're looking at a player and you're kind of saying they're already really good, but they could be among the elite. I think that, uh, you know, Abikadi is already pretty good and could be among the, the great. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's an elite ceiling, but the Falcons just haven't had a great pass rusher in so long <laughs> that, that getting him is in the second round is, is a great, great value pick because I think, like I said, like he's going to come in here with a pretty high floor. He's going to be able to contribute from day one. He got better every year at Penn State, which is something mm-hmm. that coaches love to see in the NFL. It shows that you're coachable. It shows that you have the right drive, the right motivation. You don't kind of rest on your laurels, that type of stuff. So Evocati, like once he's kind of really what I mean when I say once you saw what they did in day two, Drake London makes a lot more sense because they may have sensed that they could get a guy who they may have really liked, who a lot of people thought was going to maybe go in the 20s, the late first round, and he's sitting there for you. They did have to trade up. I think they did that to get in front of the Seahawks, who yep. also needed a, an edge rusher. But yep. yeah, they, they got their guy. And again, I, I think this is two for two at this point in the draft. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. Any any edge rushers that run under a seven three cone are pretty much absurd benders. And he yep. ran a six nine five, you know, ninety-fifth percentile basically. And he had some tremendous jumps, you know. So he he's an elite athlete overall for sure. You know, the size. I really think they need an edge like thing on RAS because they have defensive end and linebacker. And it's like <laughs> if you're if you weigh 250 as a defensive end, you're like a 25th percentile weight. And it's like yeah, you're throwing all of these like three, four guys in there, like three, four ends and all this that are like 280. It's really throwing off the numbers, I think, a little bit in terms of the size. So I think they would be well served to maybe make an edge <laughs> grouping for that. But like and the one thing that I think some people are like, oh, Evan Kenny's only 6'2". Like, he's not big enough for edge. Well, he's got 34-inch arms. So it's really right. like, if you're 6'2 and have 34-inch arms, it doesn't matter. Like, if you're 6'2 and have 30-inch arms, then that's a problem. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that's a little overblown. But I, I agree. I it think is. I think this is, and people thinking he's going to come in and be like this 15-sec-a-year, you know, superstar. I don't think the Falcons think that. I don't think that's what this pick is designed to be. This is a second-rounder. I think he's their edge, too, and I think he's their long-term edge, too, and this is part of a multi-year rebuilding of this group. It's going to take more than this class. Yep. Like, I think they're hoping that Ebicati is sort of their long-term edge, too, and D'Angelo Malone, who we're going to talk about soon, is sort of their edge three, you know, their, their sort of rotational guy. But they still need the edge one. They still need the elite guy in here. But, you know, I think Evicady, if he gets like eight to, eight to 12, eight to 10 sacks a year, that's what you're hoping for. Plus his contributions against the run, where like you said, he's he's a good run defender. He's not necessarily like, a, I'm going to stonewall a double team right. on the edge. I'm going to go toe-to-toe with the tackle and push him back. He is a really good backside player. So mm-hmm. um, if, if it's run away from him, he's really awesome at chasing it down and bringing it down he's really good at misdirection he can string out plays on at wide zone like he can evade tackles and stuff like that um more of a pursuit and penetration run stuffer than like a, i'm gonna hold up on the edge against a tackle um but that's valuable um but it, it, it it's 
it's sort of, you know, the three, four doesn't necessarily force your outside linebackers to always have to stonewall a tackle. Like that's why right. you've got the three down linemen to, to take up some space. So, um, you know, I think you, you grade three, four linebackers, their size on like a little bit of a different curve than you would a four, three guy where you're expecting that guy to have to beat a tackle every single play for a run stop. So, but I also think that because Dean Pease does want to be multiple, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you can't really fit one player neatly into every box. Yeah. Yeah. But Evocati to me, you could ask him to be a kind of four, three and like, he does have that body makeup. He does have some of that ability. So that's where, if you're comparing him to a player like a boy, Mafe, like that's where maybe the appeal of Evocati yeah. is a little bit more where you say, okay, well, he's got a role in our four, three looks. He's got a role in our three, four looks. He's got kind of these various ways that we can use him when he's not just being deployed as a pass rusher. And so I like the well-roundedness of, of him in this defense. Yeah, that was one thing about Penn State that was that made him an easy projection to Atlanta is he played hand in the dirt and standing up, and it was yep. pretty much interchangeable. So that makes that one pretty easy. Uh, next pick, maybe the most controversial pick. I don't let's know. get to um, it. Yes. Let's get to it, uh, which was uh, at, what was it, 53? 58. 58. Yeah, it's all eights. Like the first three <laughs> picks are all eights. I got to remember that. Uh, linebacker Troy Anderson from Montana State. Bozeman's a great town. Shout out to Bozeman. Um, but uh, yeah, a a perfect 10, 10.0 RAS player, making him the, the most athletic linebacker of all time. Um, it's easy to see why teams would go after him early. Uh, and I think people thought this was early because I think in February and before the combine, he was sort of like a early day three sort of projection after his testing. Um, you know, I think we had, I forget which big, big draft guys. I think it was like Jeremiah had him in, in the fifties on his final board. So like, this is not an outlandish <laughs> place to draft him. It's not right. really a reach. Um, it's just like when you're, when you're that athletic, teams are going to go after you earlier than you think. And if you want that guy, you're going to have to draft him earlier than you think he's going to go. But um, just this athletic testing is crazy. I have to list off some of these numbers just because of how absurd (laughs) it is. He's six, four and a half, 243 pounds. So big bodied linebacker, four, four, two 40, which is faster than Kyle Pitts. One, four, nine, 10 yard split, which is like wide receiver speed. That's absurd. Uh, Six, seven, seven, three cone. That is just, he's more <laughs> bendy than Epicady. I mean, it's wild. Um, yeah. So it, it obviously great jumps, great overall, everything. I mean, everything's green on the RAS card. So uh, he's only played linebacker for two seasons, was a high school quarterback, uh, came to Montana State as a zero-star recruit, played uh, running back, and then their quarterback got hurt. He played quarterback, and he was great. Then he had to play running back the next year again, and he was great. And then they made it, they're like, you know, how about you play linebacker? And he's like, okay. And he was all <laughs> conference this year as a Team linebacker. Player. So I think it's pretty easy to see why the Falcons would like a guy like this. Obviously, his developmental timetable is going to be a little bit longer than some of these other guys. But what do you think about them swinging on a guy with this kind of upside at this spot? He, I, I mean, I, it, I'm like a broken clock at this point, but or maybe, you know, I, whatever. I've been saying this a lot. <laughs> he reminds me of Taysom Hill, yeah, uh, just on bit. the defensive side of the ball. And it's, it's a kind of, how do we use him? Well, let's figure that out, but let's get him. And then that's our problem. And it's a better problem for us to have, because that means if we find the answer and we do unlock this guy, it, it, it's a one of one type of player. And yeah. I'm a big fan. And it kind of seems like the Falcons are so far of one of one guys 
you know, go get a Kyle Pitts, go get a Drake London. These players just aren't that out there that much. Go get a Troy Anderson who, like you said, athletically, like checks every single box and has mm-hmm. checked every single box in a number of positions that he's played. I mean, yeah. 21 rushing touchdowns as a quarterback, like he can do it all. Yes. The FCS level means that he's going to have a, a little bit of a steeper learning curve at the next level. But I think that the Falcons early on can use him kind of as a joker in their defense, maybe as a big nickel um, given his athleticism, maybe, you know, certainly probably in more in that strong side uh, linebacker role. I think, his size uh, and athleticism makes him, you know, potentially a good candidate to match up against opposing tight ends. Yeah, um, yeah. And and so I think that there are a number of different ways that they can use him. The key for his development is just how much, like how long does it take mentally for him to adjust to the pro game, for him to adjust to, you know, the positives and the negatives to a player who can do a lot of it. And this is why I think we sometimes struggle or we see players like Isaiah Simmons, you know, struggle these these guys who can go all over the place, well, then do you give them a massive role? Because that means that they have to learn a lot as a rookie. Mm-hmm. They have a big portion of the playbook in which they're responsible for. Or do you kind of pigeonhole them earlier on and maybe not take full advantage of their athletic you know, offerings, but you make it a little more simplistic mentally for them? So how the Falcons decide to go about that, because Dean Pease's scheme is fairly complicated. Yeah. So how do they envision using him? What kind of, what slice of the pie do they give him early on? And yeah, but like, I think that if you're just adding athletes to either side of the ball, you really can't do much better than, than getting a player who nobody had ever really heard of before, uh, before Saturday night or Friday night. But after watching him, I mean, I love the way the dude plays. I'm excited to see him out there on Sundays. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about his, his upside is what I would say. Yeah, yeah. I had seen Troy Anderson for the record. He was linebacker eight <laughs> in my positional rankings. But uh, no, it, it's he is a he's kind of a weird one. And obviously, getting your hands on Montana State tape is uh, not yep. an easy task. You know, there's a lot of googling involved. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe some backroom deals. But um, no, it, it he is such an intriguing player. I, I sort of envision him as like a sub package linebacker this year. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you, you play him in man coverage on tight ends. You're just like, go chase that guy. You know, and like you don't need to have, you don't need to have a lot of defensive acumen or scheme knowledge. Just say, Hey, that tight end, you go follow him around. <laughs> he reminds and he's going to do it. So of Devondre Campbell a little bit, how mm-hmm. we talked about him as a fourth rounder uh, yeah. coming out fourth or fifth, but it was, it was like, he's, he's got all the physical tools. He's just going to take a little bit of time to, yeah. to develop. Yeah. Unfortunately, kind of his breakout season didn't happen in Atlanta, but <laughs> we all saw what he became. Yeah. The, the hope is there's similar upside here. Absolutely. And I, I, I like it a lot. Um, I think he's he's going to be a good pick. I think he's going to be looked upon favorably sooner than later. But I think in terms of his special teams ability, I mean, he's going to oh, be yeah. an A-plus special teamer uh, immediately. So we know how much they love special teams, guys. So that I think early on, A-plus special teamer, sub-package linebacker. But I, I think <laughs> there's not anything that, you know, physically, athletically, he can't handle. Like, he's big enough to be your middle linebacker in the 3-4, or in the 3-4, and he's fast enough to be your run and chase will on the outside. I mean, it just whatever yep. you want him to do, he can do it. But with only two years of linebacker, the instincts, that's the thing. He's going to take time to develop that. But as a guy who's changed positions three times and been like all conference every time he changed positions, I just think this is a really smart player. And I think it'll be faster than people expect. Um, so I, I'm excited about him for sure. Um, next pick, first pick of the third round, perhaps the best value 
of anyone in this class, at least according to a lot of people's boards. Uh, quarterback Desmond Ritter, my son, you know, one of my two quarterback <laughs> sons. So I would have had a lot. I would have, if it was Malik too, I would have been able to call it my son. But uh, Desmond Ritter comes to the Falcons with pick 74 in the third round, which is over around more than anyone even thought was realistic for him to fall. Uh, definitely the player I think that was most commonly linked with the Falcons in terms of scheme fit. Um, but what do you think about Ritter, especially getting him this late in the draft? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the number one thing, right? Is, is getting him kind of where you did is why a lot of people, it went from all of a sudden, no, no, no Falcons, maybe don't take a quarterback to, oh, all right. You know, if you're going to take one, sure. (laughs) Like take one here. Um, and I like Ritter. I, I think that, like you said, it seems like the scheme fit is the most locked in with Desmond Ritter and, and the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of his comps are Ryan Tannehill. A lot of his comps are, are Marcus Mariota, that type of athleticism um, in the package, but maybe at least initially, and we saw with Tannehill, the maturity and, and he grew, grew in this area, but the throwing ability is kind of the question mark. And that was with Marcus Mariota. That was with Ryan Tannehill kind of coming out, but you knew they, they had the athleticism there. And at times the throwing ability was, was, flawless and it was as you know good as you would want and so the upside is is very much apparent it's just where does he ultimately settle where between Mm -hmm. his floor and his upside does does he land but i and i'm not in any way shape or form comparing these two players beyond this one thing but i remember watching josh allen coming out in the draft and simply at the senior bowl seeing him miss the throwing net from like 15 yards away and I was like, that looks like me throwing the football out there. How do you miss the throwing net entirely? Like that yeah. when you're in competition to be like a potentially the first quarterback taken in the draft, that's something you could hit in your sleep. You're that good. You're that talented. So that was a major red flag to me. But what I think I learned from that, and what a lot of people did is that there are certain areas that a player truly can get better with the right coaching and just the right amount of hours that, you know, 10,000 hours theory you get that in the pros more so than you do in college because now it's your full-time job. And I look at the way Josh Allen grew as a passer, the way that his mechanics started to get much more improved, the way that his arm became a legitimate strength. And now that is where I compare him to Desmond Ritter because the inconsistency as a thrower, I think you can fix at the next level. It's some of the other things, the intangibles, his athleticism, all of that stuff that he does bring to the table, that's much harder to coach up. So whether or not the Falcons are able to get him to be much more, much more consistent, much more, you know, throw to throw game to game, everything is locked in. It looks identical. That is where, you know, time will tell. Can Desmond Ritter be the long-term answer at quarterback for the Falcons? Again, I'm not saying he's Josh Allen. I just look at the way Josh Allen developed as a pro and where he ended up, where he is right now. Yes, he's an athletic freak and all of that stuff. Not saying Desmond Ritter is that. Purely as a thrower, I think we're seeing that there is a path forward for Desmond Ritter, and he's going to have a little bit of time to learn under Marcus Mariota. So for all those reasons, I I really like this pick and the value that they got. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, that comp, they sort of coming out are like on two different stratospheres. Like Josh Allen's just this this ball of clay that's this like elite arm, elite athlete. The most elite ball of clay. Yes. And, you know, you can tell just like the level of this clay is amazing. Um, but he just sometimes you can't hit the broadside of a barn with a ball. Like it's like, how <laughs> yeah. is this possible? Whereas like Ritter, the mechanics are actually pretty far, far developed. The mental side is there. Mm-hmm. You can see all of that. Um, 
But with him, but they do have some of the same things, like the inconsistent accuracy. I think it was a lot worse for Josh Allen. <laughs> Josh it was, Allen's yeah. accuracy was a mess. Um, and I think Josh Allen offers you the upside of the great arm and, and the just truly yes. you know, up there athletic talent. Whereas Ritter's still an elite quarterback athlete. I mean, he's like a 96 RAS or something like that. So it's not like Ritter's not a great athlete too, but it's it's sort of like they're in different places in their development. Like Allen had a lot further to go in terms of his throwing mechanics, but he had a higher ceiling, whereas Ritter has a lower mm -hmm. ceiling, but his mechanics are closer. So it's sort of like Ritter doesn't need to go as far to get to NFL starter. Right. But does he offer the same upside as Josh Allen? Maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> but again, do you need that to win at the NFL? Do you need to have, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or, you know, one of these guys to really win in the NFL? And we've seen that teams win with, you know, a top 10 quarterback. Like you just need to get into that window where you have a top 10 quarterback. And can Ritter be a top 10 quarterback? I think he, he can, um, <laughs> but we just have to see it. And I think with Ritter, the thing to me about his inconsistency is I don't know that it's mechanical necessarily based on what I've heard from some of the guys that do this for a living. Um, it's more mental. It tends to happen at the beginning of games. Yep. Um, and then he calms down and gets really in the zone late. Um, and in the NFL, you know, it's like, it's great to be clutch at the end of games. That's a big time <laughs> thing that you want. But if you're like down 25 to zero at the end of the uh, first quarter, because you threw three picks, that's not going to help you if you're great at the end and you're just right. sort of clawing your way back. So if you can just get to, you know, get that stuff worked out. And I think he does have a great chance to do it from everything I've heard. He, he was, uh, he was working out with uh, Jordan Palmer for like each of the last three off seasons, the, uh, the quarterback guru. Um, he just, he went there, he spends a lot of time with him. Palmer was just like, this is the hardest worker I've ever had in here. And I, you have to think that based on what Fontenot and Arthur Smith have said, that's a trait that they value extremely highly. And if he's going to put in that kind of work, uh, once he gets to the NFL that he was putting in before he even got to the NFL, I think that he's got a very good chance to turn into at least his sort of middle range of outcomes where, I think at worst, Desmond Ritter is just a good NFL backup, a spot starter. Um, but I think at best, he's like a fringe top 10 guy that in the right system can act like a top five guy. You know, like Ryan Tannehill, I don't think anyone's pretending that he's this like top five elite quarterback, but right. he put up top five numbers yep. in that, uh, you know, in that one season where everything was clicking for Tennessee. So that's sort of what I think Ritter can, can give. And I think that's what we're hoping for. Plus the ability, when you take a guy in the third round, the pressure's off for him and for the front office on him becoming a franchise quarterback. And he's got the chip on his shoulder. So I think all around <laughs> uh, that's a great pick and a great value. And it makes a ton of sense. Um, the next pick final day two pick D'Angelo Malone, the edge rusher from Western Kentucky, senior bowl guy, um, super great speed rusher, a uh, little undersized, but again, another similar to Ebicady in some ways in terms of athletic talent and build. Um, Malone is definitely more of like a speed rush guy, but what do you think about at a double dipping an edge and getting another guy similar to Ebicady, at least in terms of the build? Yeah, my my actual first thought for this was it, it reminded me of Michael Walker, kind of when they took him in that sense where you you knew what he could do and you knew what he couldn't do. And I, I think that they're going to try to develop Malone in some of the areas where he's deficient right now, but you know that he can come in right now, be a plug and play situational pass rusher for yeah, you. When yeah. you need that juice, when you need... Um, to kind of bring the heat, hopefully in more obvious passing downs, the Falcons can uh, force their opponents into those situations a little bit more this upcoming season. But that's where you would hope that he can shine. And that yeah. is where, you know, you kind of, whether it's blitzing um, or just, hey, kind of 
line up and go right from from the jump uh, and they know it's coming but try to stop us that is where he is going to be the biggest asset for this team i think early on and then from there it's kind of like all right how do you choose to develop him what what's your role for him um what other skill sets do you want him to develop and and so in that way like i'm hoping that he's got uh i hope he's got a bigger usage rate than than michael walker does <laughs> but i hope that when they ask him to do the things that they ask him to do like Michael Walker, he does it at a very high level. Uh, the question is just what what type of package, what type of role do they have in mind for him early on? Because they they definitely need all the pass rushing help they can get. Hopefully Malone is is part of that um, answer. And, and it seems like if they're going to bet on somebody with a more narrow skill set, at least they're getting somebody whose skill set is more um, akin to a great pass rusher than maybe like a good run defender or, a, you know, a good slot player like Go get all the pass rush help you can, <laughs> and that is, that is what Malone will bring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's a des- he's probably a designated pass rusher his rookie season, and you're hoping you can develop him to be at least you know capable against the run. Maybe never somebody that you're deploying on first downs, you know, yeah. to be your like run stuffing edge. Four or five sacks next year is yeah. like very yeah yeah. That's what you're me. hoping for. Like yep. you're gonna have him play in in passing situations. You're gonna have him spelling some of your top guys to bring that juice. But he's super, his effort is off the charts. He's just a little spark plug out there and uh, little, you know, 6'3", 250, you know, not really little, <laughs> but um, it just, uh, it's funny. You watched him at the senior bowl and the, his biggest plays were like Trevor Penning was just pancaking every defensive lineman and like they were getting really pissed off. And then he went up against D'Angelo Malone, who, like I said, not necessarily the biggest lineman and he put Trevor Penning on his ass. He put Daniel Falele on his ass just because look, he got up under their pads and pushed him over Um, (laughs) because leverage is how you win, especially in one-on-ones like that. So he understands that he understands how to use his size well. Um, And I think that uh, he's going to, he's going to be a good player. Um, All right. I know you have to sign off fairly soon here, Will. So let's, let's keep it rolling here for these last three picks. Um, Running back Tyler Algier. Uh, with their fifth round pick. This one, I think, has certainly excited the fantasy community uh, because there was a huge <laughs> void in terms of like early down carries and the Falcons today also released Mike Davis. So they're sort yep. of clearing the runway for Algier to get a bigger role here. What did you think about that pick and that fit in the offense? Um, yeah, I, I think I think he plugs that, that Mike Davis role a little bit um, just at a cheaper cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I remember um texting brett jukes uh, a little while before the draft um asking hey any byu players that i need to be aware of because he's, <laughs> he's a huge byu fan and, and last year yeah. was all on the zach wilson um bandwagon but he was like yeah they got a good running back out there so that that was all i knew of tyler algier before the draft <laughs> process um but i you know i know that that uh brett is excited with who they got seems like he plugs into that just short yardage kind of uh bigger back role um, very kind of red zone oriented draft yeah. for Atlanta mm-hmm. in the, in this one, certainly offensively, but yeah, it's a crowded backfield. I don't know if my expectations are too, too high for Algier in, in year one. We'll see like, if, if he ends up card, carving out a big role, then that's a huge testament to him. I think as a person and a worker and his work ethic, um, because athletically I like some of the other options that they have in the backfield more sort certainly Cordero Patterson being, being that lead guy, but even I, I'm excited to see what Damian Williams can bring. Um, mm-hmm. And Quadri Allison, for some reason, just has never really gotten the shot. But when he does, he does well at times. Um, 
but you can say that about a number of Falcons backs over the years. <laughs> <laughs> I yep. think I think this is another just special teams, um, real big special teams contributor. Certainly the body to kind of handle, I think, an NFL workload over the course of a season. So I think those were the things that were kind of factored into this pick. Uh, and it seems like an Arthur Smith type of selection where, all right, somebody who's a hard worker, who's big, who's durable, um, can really deliver a punishment. Uh, and that seems like what he likes at the running back position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously the 23 touchdowns stand out. Yep. Um, the size stands out, you know, 5'10", five, 5'11", five, 224. It's like, oh, that's an Arthur Smith guy. I could tell. How many pounds is he? 220 plus? Okay, he's an Arthur <laughs> Smith guy. Yeah. Um, his thing is like, uh, and Thor Nystrom hit on this in, in his breakdown of the running backs from NBC Sports, um, that Algier was elite when the blocking was good. Like he was the most, da- one of the most dangerous runners in all of college football. If the hole was there, um, if the hole wasn't there, the, you know, again, like most running backs, if he's getting tackled in the backfield or he has to try to bounce, he's not the most shifty guy. He's not necessarily going to create a lot of extra yards. You know, he's going to get back. He's physical. He's going to get back to the line of scrimmage, maybe get a yard out of it or whatever, but he became special when the running when the run blocking was good, he was, he's, he's really explosive, you know, only a four, six guy, not necessarily long speed explosive, but really good jumps, really good 10 yard split. This is a guy that's going to explode through the hole and break off those chunk seven, 10 yard runs. And when the blocking is good, he was able to get those constantly, you know, run after run. And then when he gets to the second level, he's trucking linebackers and trucking safeties. Um, so I think, the hope is that the Falcons can get the run blocking to a better place. Then you can start handing the ball to Algier on early downs, help him grind it out. And then you bring in Patterson, you know, for your high leverage downs, for your passing downs. And you got Damian Williams as sort of the lightning to their thunder, you know. Um, and I, I really like that trio. I think that's a really interesting trio. I think they don't want Patterson taking quite as many carries on early downs. I think they would rather save him for those high leverage situations. Um, and I think if, if Algier hits, you know, this, this camp and, and shows out then he could be getting a fair number of carries for the Falcons. And obviously you hope the run blocking is better too, but that's a good way to bring up our next, uh, draft pick, which is, uh, Justin Schaefer, uh, pick 190 in the sixth round, the first dog this team has drafted in eternity. Uh, I know a lot of fans were excited about that. Um, Schaefer played left guard for Georgia this year, I believe. So it seems mm-hmm. pretty obvious yep. who he's going to be competing with. Uh, <laughs> really, really nasty, mean run blocker. I think the pass blocking sort of hit or miss. But for a six-round pick, you know, you're just hoping for someone who's going to come and compete. Uh, but what do you think about uh, Justin Schaefer? Yeah, I mean, I think that both of their six-round picks, Georgia guys. And I, I yeah. think that that is certainly not a bad thing given – a, the type of culture that they're building over in Georgia. Um, B, the the level of success that they had over the last year. I mean, you're getting good players who were instrumental guys on a championship winning team. Uh, and I, I think that that is going to bring, you know, this is much about improving your locker room and improving the culture inside of the building, I think, as much as what they're going to bring on the field. But you want guys who are going to come in here. They're used to a high level of competition and practice. They're used to you know, going about things the right way. And then they're used to competing against the very best on Saturdays, which is going to help them and hopefully shorten that learning curve for them on Sundays. Uh, and Justin Schaefer, it, to me, like, I think Arthur Smith, if you're going to ask him, do you value run blocking or pass blocking more? Run blocking sets a tone. Run blocking is what's going to wear down a defense. Run blocking is we're going to get after your ass type of mentality. And I think that that is kind of what 
um, Arthur Smith wants because the secret about pass protection is depending on your scheme, you can make it much easier for guys in that area of the game based on what you're able to do with the ground game. So the ground game feeds into your pass game because if you're firing off the ball, if you're moving guys in the run game and then you marry that to your play action pass, guys are flowing where you want them to go without you really even having to move them there because they're trying to beat your blocks already because they know how much you're bringing it in the run game. And then all of a sudden you've got them in the wrong leverage, the wrong angle for a pass play. And that makes life so much easier on your offensive lineman. So for that reason, Justin Schaefer, he's going to be in the mix. It seems like every single offensive lineman outside of Chris Lindstrom <laughs> and, and Jake Matthews are going to be in the mix. Yep. Um, but he's an exciting one to watch. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see him start to kind of climb up that depth chart as training camp progresses because of his background and because of, of what he brings. Yeah. Yeah. I think this pick and the next pick that we're going to get to here in just a second, um, really show an emphasis on the run game that I think they desperately need because this is not going to be a high flying passing attack anymore. They certainly have, I think in Pitts and London, two guys that they can get production out of. And, and they have, I think a, a good group overall in terms of, you know, getting some production out of the passing game, but this is an offense that absolutely needs to be more balanced yep. without Matt Ryan at the helm anymore. You know, you're going to marry, maybe going to a rookie and Desmond Ritter. We'll see, when that happens, I feel like it's when, not if. Um, <laughs> no offense to Mariota necessarily, but I feel like at some point we're going to see Ritter. Um, and I think the best way to to win games with this team is to be able to run the football a lot better than last year. Um, and we've seen T Algier come in, you know, a big grinder. Schaefer, who's a run blocking specialist, um, who's going to compete with Jalen Mayfield. You know, this is really the the legit competition for Mayfield that people were hoping for. Um, and then this next pick, the final pick, tight end John Fitzpatrick, uh, big blocking tight end from Georgia, who apparently has some some receiving upside, according to people who who know Georgia. Big guy, <laughs> six seven, two fifty. Only caught like six passes last year, but look, if you're a really good blocker and you have good hands, which it appears that he does, um, you're going to catch some dump offs. That's all they're really going to ask from him. Um, but again, really good blocker and the tight end position was thinning out quick. So I, I understand why they had, why they decided to pick him instead of risking him to undrafted free agency or someone swiping him the next 50 picks or whatever. But what do you think about that last selection? Yeah, he's the type of guy that would be a priority undrafted free agent if, if he was there. Like, I mean, the thing with tight ends is obviously the ones who are great receivers or your Kyle Pitts or whatever, those are, those are the guys that are going to go in the first round. But NFL teams look at the blocking ability because tight end is a hybrid position. You've got to be a good blocker. You've got to be a good receiver or elite enough in one of those two areas to make it not really matter um, yeah. with the other. But obviously the receiving skill is way, way, way more coveted at that position. So teams can get great blockers at tight end much later in the draft. And that's kind mm -hmm. of what I think the Falcons knew that they needed this added to their roster, given retirements, given just the way that tight end is thinned out a little bit. Luckily, they didn't have to use high draft capital to address that need. They're able to still kind of balance out their tight end room. They're able to get a another blocker who could be a pseudo kind of offensive lineman in there. You can run your two tight end sets like you did last year with Lee Smith. Hopefully now it's, it's Fitzpatrick and you can still kind of keep that balance between the run and the pass when they're out on the field. And like you said, I think he does bring a little bit of upside um, in the receiving game. He only had 17 uh, career catches at Georgia, but they have Brock Bowers, who is yeah. probably going to be like a, a first round draft pick in his own right whenever he comes out of college. So 
I look at this again, Georgia guy, he's going to bring the right mentality. He's, you know, probably a hard nosed kid. If he's a run blocking tight end, that's generally the way that those guys are. Um, So once again, I think the Falcons got exactly what they were looking for late in the round. um, And the value is, is probably right where it should have been. Yeah, totally agree. Like the pick. Um, yeah, anyone getting upset about pick 213 needs to calm down. Maybe go outside, guys. Go outside, yeah. okay? No place like, we're obsessed Ring. with the draft. Yeah, play some Elden Ring. Shout out to Elden Ring for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, Will, thank you for taking the time today. Any any final overall thoughts on the class before we wrap it up? Uh, I like it. You know, I, I really do. I think that they had a plan. They wanted to execute. It does seem like this was very much a pick-your-poison draft at a number of, of different spots, uh, be it quarterback, be it wide receiver, edge rusher for some people, and it seems like the Falcons did a really good job of navigating the board, knowing where they needed to be to get their guys. And it feels like they address a lot of needs, even though they say they're going to take best player available. If you can find a way to also get great value while hitting your needs, then that's a home run draft in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Well, well, I appreciate you carving out the time today so we could break this down because we didn't get to get your takes this weekend. So I'm <laughs> glad we we snuck it in here on Monday. But thank you so much, guys. Will McFadden at Will McFadden on Twitter, host of the Believe in Falcons podcast. Anything else you want to plug, Will? Uh, the Falcoholic, man. Oh, yeah. Hit the site. Yeah, for sure, guys. <laughs> There's good content on there. You know, Evan's Evan's busting, uh, busting his work out there, uh, going and getting all these undrafted signings from all over the Twitter sphere and Instagram and everything. So Evan's doing a great job there. If you want to keep up with the undrafted free agents, so check that out as well, guys. But again, Will, thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll have you back on the new look Falcoholic podcast, as well as the Falcoholic live when that airs on Wednesday. But thank you so much. Will. have a good day. Heck yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you.